0: there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! To begin with, I want you to imagine uh, summertime. I want you to imagine like around the Fourth of July uh, here in Georgia, when it's so hot and so sticky. Like you take a shower uh, and you walk out to your car, and by the time you get in your car, your shirt's sticking to your chest because it's just so humid and so sweaty. So, so kind of kind of think of around the Fourth of July time, um, and I want you to imagine that uh, you don't have anywhere to go for the Fourth, and you don't know where you're going to spend it, and you have a friend that says, "Hey." I just got a, a brand new swimming pool at my house. Uh, I want you and the family to come over for the, for the 4th of July. Uh, I would love for you to come over and swim. We'll throw some burgers on the grill, and we'll just kind of hang out by the pool. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. And so you start to look forward to it. And you wake up on the, on the 4th of July, and it's exponentially hot. I mean, it is just so hot and so sticky. And all you can think about is uh, that, that pool, your friend's pool. I want to jump in that pool. And you're looking forward to that refreshing water, hanging out by the pool with good friends and good food. And so you drive over to your friend's house, and, and you, you get there. You walk around to the backyard, and this is what you see. Uh, you see your friend... Um, in the new pool uh, that they got. Now, chances are, if you're like me, you're going to be highly disappointed. Uh, The water is shallow and somewhat stagnant, probably. And you may even decide to leave so you can salvage the rest of your day. Because when you're thinking about hanging out by the pool, this is what you had in mind. Uh, When you think pool, uh, you, you want a cool clear, deep water that you can dive into. It's the depth of the water that's going to refresh you, not the shallow, stagnant kiddie pool. And so we're in this series on the parable of the sower. You, you just saw a snippet, a, a video snippet where Jesus talks about throwing seeds um, and it, the seeds end up on four different types of soil. We call them four different types of, of hearts. Uh, and and one of those uh, types of soil is known as the rocky soil and we call that the shallow heart. Uh, And we're going to talk about having a shallow heart today. Uh, Before we do, I want to remind you, uh, both those of you in here and those of you watching online, when we launched this series last week, I asked, I challenged you to continue to ask yourself this question. What kind of heart do I have? What kind of soil is is the word of God being thrown into? Do I do? Do I have? Uh, thorns or rocks, or uh, do I have thistles, or do I have good soil? Uh, because th- the fact of the matter is is that I have one of these four hearts, you have one of these four hearts we, we, we all do, and so last week, we looked at, we looked at the first scenario, uh, the seed that was thrown on the path, and we called that the hard heart, because a path is something that somebody continues to walk back and forth on, and here 's what we just simply said. Um, you may be letting too much foot traffic into your life. You may be letting too many people walk in and out of your life, been packing down that soil of your heart, uh, and then you're not able to receive uh, the, the Word of God. Well, as I said, this morning we're going to look at the second kind of heart, and we call this the shallow heart. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into uh, the parable itself. This parable is told in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're looking at Mark's interpretation, which is in chapter 4. So Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 4, verses 5 and 6. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And so if you're familiar where Jesus is in the world, uh, he's in, in Palestine, uh, and there is a lot of rocks in Palestine. There are rocks everywhere. In fact, there's a Palestinian legend that says that after the creation, God sent the angel Gabriel with this huge bag of rocks to distribute all over the world, and that he it tripped. And Palestine and dumped a lot more rocks than he was supposed to there. Um, it, there are rocks everywhere. And so when we sometimes think of these rocky places as, as the soil, uh, we think of places that just have rocks everywhere. But Jesus is describing something different here. The, the rocky places to which Jesus is describing are these areas in Palestine that have a thin skin of really good soil, but resting on top of an underlying shelf of limestone rock. So you've got, you've got this hard limestone shelf of rock, and you've got this very thin soil an inch or two uh, deep. And so if you would plant seeds there, the sun would warm the soil very rapidly, the seed would germinate quickly, it would spring up, But the roots would be stopped dead at the rock. They didn't have anywhere to go. And the plant would literally starve to death from lack of moisture. This is what's happening to the seeds that fell on rocky places. Although the plant sprouts up quickly, it also dies quickly and it bears no fruit. Now, what we have is we have an advantage because Jesus not only tells the parable, but then he explains the meaning of each of the soils. So if you go down to verses 16 and 17 of our text, Jesus is going to explain what a shallow heart looks like. He says this in verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it. Now, how do they receive it? With joy. They immediately receive these seeds of the word being thrown out with joy. And they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately They fall away. And so the the seed that falls on this rocky ground would represent a person who hears the word about Jesus and is initially enthusiastic about it. They receive it with joy, but their interest is as shallow as that thin soil among the rocks, and their enthusiasm quickly dries up. So they receive the word with joy at first. They're excited about it. But when things get hard, when the sun comes out, they're not deeply rooted and that joy dries up. So they start strong and then they fall away. And we've all seen people like that, right? They start really strong for Christ. But a week, a month later, um, that excitement is long gone. I kind of equate it to a person who wakes up one morning and decides they want to join a gym. They, they, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, you know what, I'm not really happy with what I see. Uh, I think I'm going to go join a gym. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get myself into shape. And so these people will go and they'll pay like a year or two membership. They'll just sign a contract, you know, hundreds of dollars. Uh, they'll roll on up to Academy and buy a brand new pair of shoes and a new sweatsuit because they want to look good when they're at the gym. And so they go to the gym that first day uh, and they work out. They might work out a little bit too hard. Um, they, 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 they work out and the next day they can barely get out of bed. Uh, they think, man, that was, this is hard. This isn't just signing up for a gym and buying new clothes. This takes work. So uh, I worked hard yesterday. I'm sore. So I'm going to take a, a couple of days off just to let my body recover. And a couple of days turn into a couple of weeks. Um, and they may go back to the gym one or two more times uh, throughout the rest of the year. But eventually they come to the conclusion. They stand in front of the mirror and they say, you know what? I'm happy with the way that I look. I don't need a gym. It's hard. I don't want any part of it. It's also like me. When I try to go on a diet, I'm on a diet like every other week, it seems like. All these fad diets, low carb, no carb, you know, meat only, just just Daniel Fast, all all these diets. And I'm really, really good. I'm really pumped up because I want to lose my middle-aged pot belly. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. It's not going to take long. And, And any diet that I've been on for like four days, I am great. Then around day 3 or day 4, I'm in Hiram somewhere and I'm just like going to Target or walking outside and there's so many restaurants, I smell french fries. And all of a sudden, before I know it, I've got a large Zaxby's fries and I've inhaled it and I feel miserable about myself because I've blown it because diets are hard. And I do the same thing, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, you know what, I'm happy with the way I am, I don't need a diet, bring on the, the french fries. So. What I want you to understand is that people often do this with Christ. We've all seen it, right? Someone accepts Christ. The word is preached. They receive it gladly. They might even be brought to tears. They accept Christ. We baptize them. And they seem to be on fire for Jesus. They receive the gospel gladly. They're excited about being a Christian. They start coming to church on a regular basis. They may even join a Bible study or a lift group. Then something happens. Trials come their way. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a disagreement with another Christian. It could be a bad romance. It could be a sickness. But they begin to realize, wait a minute, Christians suffer the same as non-Christians? And they find out that following Christ actually takes perseverance and it takes discipline. And they say to themselves, you know what? I'm happy with myself. I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. And they fall away. People with a shallow heart would be a, these type of people that I would categorize who make a very emotional decision to follow Christ. They're just almost caught up in the moment. And so it's a person that hasn't really stopped And counted the cost of following Jesus. It's a person that that may not realize that salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. That before we decide to follow Christ, Christ tells us we should stop and count the cost. He tells another parable in Luke 14 about cost counting and about people that are going to stay with him and people that are going to follow away. One of the things that you see Christ doing systematically through the New Testament is thinning people out constantly. And this is what this is what this parable of the soil is about. He's not interested in big crowds. He's interested in committed people. And so he's always thinning people out. So he tells this parable about counting the cost. And the most recognizable part of the parable is Luke fourteen twenty-eight, where Jesus says this, for which of you deciding to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough money to complete it. You know, I love this quote. I have no idea who to give credit to for it, but it's simply this, quote, following Jesus is simple, but not easy. It's free, but not cheap. It will give you everything, but it will also cost you everything. And so, In our evangelical churches, we have this whole category of of people who receive the word of God through some just purely emotive decision. They don't stick with it. they, They wither away. And so this is a category of people who receives the word of Jesus with either, hear me, too much feeling or too much fear. And I want to chat about that for just a little bit. Let's talk about somebody who receives the word of God with too much feeling. It's somebody who makes a just purely emotional decision. Now, I want you to hear me uh, before you throw me out of the church. I'm not discounting emotional feeling. Um, This is a love relationship with Jesus. So, yes, there has to be. An emotional connection. There has to be a feeling. But it's not just a feeling alone. Jesus was asked later on in Mark, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says in Mark 12, 30 this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And those who are are very emotive in their thinking would say, see, there it is. Your heart. It's your emotion. Love them with all your emotion. It is a purely emotional decision. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. So there is strings involved, there is emotions, but Jesus says, also love me with all of your mind. A decision to follow Christ has to be a decision that we also make with our mind, with our reason, and with our intellect. And let me tell you how American evangelical churches have let this happen. How, how we not only create But we facilitate shallow hearts, just making people make decisions on pure emotion. And listen, I'm in this. I have done this before. So here's what typically happens. A preacher will get up, they'll preach a sermon, and they will finish that sermon with a a really heartwarming or a very sad story. All right. It's most likely going to involve a sick child, a puppy or a kitten. All right. And so what they're doing is they're trying to like just pull on your heartstrings at the very end of the message. All right. And I've been guilty of this. I used to do this all the time. When I was in youth ministry, I told this story probably a hundred times as I traveled around and preached. It's called the bus driver's gift. And the this, this, this story goes like this. You have this bus driver who has this uh, this route. And on his route, he goes down this mountain, and at the very bottom of the mountain, there's a gate that goes into his house. He lives, you got to go up the road and get to his house, so there's a gate. But around that curb, there's another curb, and there's not a guardrail, there's a steep cliff. And so he's got to be very careful as he's going around. Well, in the story, the bus driver's son always sits on the gate. He gets home, mom brings him home. He doesn't have to ride the bus. And he sits on the gate and waits for his dad to go by on the bus to wave at his dad. Well, in the story, on this particular day, the brakes go out on the bus, okay? And the bus is headed for destruction. Every kid on that bus is going to die. And so as the bus driver's driving down, he remembers the gate. He remembers that the driveway goes up. And so he thinks, all I got to do is crash through that gate and I'll save every kid on this bus. But then he remembers, oh, no, my son's sitting on the gate. And he's beeping the horn. He's trying to get his son to to jump off the gate. Um, But his son just is, is waving. And so in that moment, the bus driver has to make this decision. Does he crash through the gate and does he kill his own child? Or does he just plummet the bus off of the cliff around the next corner and all those children die? Well, in the story, he crashes through the gate. He kills his child. He is devastated, but all of these children are saved. And I would usually end it by like a dramatic pause. And I would try to find one kid and look him in the eye who I knew was struggling. And I would say, that's what God did for you that's how much god loved you and it was a it was a heartstring pull and listen there's truth to that i understand that but we just get emotions up and then we say, all right, bring the band out here. Come on. Now let's play some slow moving song like Oceans that just never seems to end. And, and we're going to play it over and over again. And if nobody comes up, we're going to sing it again. And if nobody comes up, they're pre- I know somebody needs to follow Christ. I know that you're headed to uh, right off of the cliff. And, and Jesus sent the bus for you. To he, God killed his own son for you. You need to make a decision. I know somebody. here. We're not leaving till somebody makes a decision for Christ. And finally, you know, on like the 13th verse, somebody comes up. Just purely a mode of decision. And they make this profession of faith based on the feelings of that moment. They walk away thinking they're saved and they're not. Jesus says they sprout up for a little period of time and then they wither away. So too much feeling. The the other way that a person can receive a shallow seed is through too much fear, too much fear. It's a fear-based decision. And I want you to understand something. God is scary. There is some fear involved. Uh, I get that. In fact, Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but more in my absence. And here's the part we know. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. So there's a fear factor involved with God, right? He's huge. He's all powerful. He's all righteous. He's holy. He's just. But a person who comes to God through fear and fear alone Will not last. I've been doing this for 25 years and I've seen it time and time again. And as churches, we can be guilty of facilitating this as well. Here's how this plays out a preacher will get up and preach a harsh, harsh message, right? kind of sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is what hell is like. This is what your future is like. This is what you're going to endure for all eternity. You better repent or perish. You better turn or you will burn. And then you have someone sitting there going, I don't want to perish. I don't want to burn. And so that person decides to follow Christ through only the emotion of fear. This is a tactic that we use on our children and we may not know it. When we say things like, well, you don't want to go to the bad place, do you? You better clean your room. Or you want to go to heaven and be with mom and dad, right? Uh, we want to, you want to be together with mom and dad throughout eternity. You don't want to burn forever. Then follow Jesus. And the poor kid's kind of like cringing in their seat. and they're, oh, oh, Okay. And they make this decision to follow Jesus out of pure fear. Those decisions don't last. So I didn't grow up in the church, which I sometimes view as a disadvantage, but I think it was to my advantage. Um, I didn't start going to church until I was like 14, never really been to church very much. And uh, I went to this special event uh, for the youth group <laughs> and they, the things we did in the 80s, they, they had this speaker come and this speaker did a sermon on backmasking. I don't even know if you know what backmasking is, you have to be old enough to know what a record is a vinyl record okay and so this preacher came and did this lesson on back masking and that's when he he brought a turntable uh, and a microphone not two turntables and a microphone but just a turntable and a microphone some of you got that some of you didn't and he would put these records on and what you did is you put the record on you put the needle down and you spun the record backwards All right. And if you spun it at the right speed, he had all these groups that supposedly worship Satan and they had these messages about Satan. So here's what it literally looked like and sounded like for me. I'm sitting there and he puts the first record on and he starts. And that's all I hear. And then he stops and he says, see, they just said Satan is king or they just said we worship Satan. And he systematically went through every group that I loved And played this gibberish backwards and talked about how how cunning and scheming the devil is. He puts these messages on these records. And I'm scared to death because that's all I listen to. And then he goes into this diatribe about how crafty Satan is and how he wants to just suck the life out of your soul and how you're going to go to hell and you're going to be separated from God and you're going to burn forever and you better repent and you better perish. Now let's sing just as I am and come on up. I came up and I gave my life when I was 14 years old to Christ purely out of fear. I literally just wanted my get out of hell free card. Listen, that wore off. Within a matter of weeks, the the seed of fear that was planted in me, it sprouted and I changed my behavior for a couple of days. It got hard and it withered away. And so for three years, I wore the name of Christ, but I did not live like it. I went to church but my heart was not being transformed. The, the sin in my life just continued to increase. And I'll never forget it. I was 17 years old. I was sitting in my home church and my home preacher, Chuck Dowdy, He preached this sermon that absolutely rocked my world. It was a message on the prodigal son. And I had my whole life felt like the prodigal son. And he just simply went through the narrative of the story. He didn't add a lot of superficial emotional stories. He just threw the seed of the word out and talked about God's love for us. And when they played that response song, I'll never forget it. I literally ran up front. And I just grabbed him and, and tears started flowing. I'm not a real emotional person, but tears started flowing. And I said, Preacher D, that's what we called him. Preacher D, when I was 14, you know, I was scared to death and, and I was listening to music and I I didn't know it. But like, I guess Journey or Satanist and they played these back- these records backwards and I got scared. And, and, and it, that prompted me to give my life to Christ. But I, I haven't changed. I don't feel any different. I, I, I was even baptized. I, I don't feel like I, I made the right decision. I didn't know what I was doing. And he was really cool about it. He's like, well, most people never come to that conclusion. So they took my confession of faith and I was baptized for a second time. And when I came up out of that baptistry, I knew at 17 years old, I knew that I would be in ministry. I didn't have a calling from God, a voice from God. I just knew right then and right there because I was truly saved. I was truly transformed. The crazy thing is like this past month, this past four to six weeks, I've had at least four people approach me and we had the, kind of the same conversation. They would say, hey, can I talk to you? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was young, uh, I, I was really scared or uh, my friend gave her life to Christ. And so I decided I wanted to be like my friend or my parents put all this pressure on me and, and I got saved and I was even baptized but it was for the wrong reason. I, I, I don't feel anything. What should I do? I just simply share my story with them and I let them make their own decision. What I'm getting at is that too much feeling or too much fear can absolutely lead to a shallow heart. So I want you to think about it from a parental standpoint. All right, parents, let's say you have your first child and, and here's your philosophy. We're, gonna let, we're just gonna do whatever that child feels like doing if feelings will will rule if it feels good do it so you your child's whole life here's what you say to them just do whatever your heart tells you to do whatever you feel led to do if you want to eat ice cream for dinner eat ice cream for dinner if you want to do your homework do your homework if you don't don't if you want to go to school go to school if you don't don't just whatever feels good just follow that feeling what kind of kid would you have raised? I'm gonna be graphic, a little turd, that the rest of us have to live beside when they grow up, right? This, you're not going to raise a good child. All right. So, so think about the other, the other way, a parent who is fear-based, your house is fear-based. It is rules and religion. And if you're punished, you're going to have to copy scripture. That's your punishment. And kids can't be kids. And it's a very harsh environment. It's a very fear-driven environment. You better fear your daddy, right? What kind of kid would you have raised? Not a well-adjusted child, maybe even a rebellious one after years, or or maybe a kid who grows up as an adult and they're afraid of everything. Too much feeling and too much fear produces shallow hearts. I think there's a balance of feeling and fear that begins to help the soil of our hearts to become fertile ground to receive the gospel. I want to talk to you about that just for a second as we begin to wind down. 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about that word love there. Uh, In the Greek, it's the word agape, and that's kind of a New Testament word reserved for God's love for his people, agape love. And so God's love is perfect. He's perfect. His love is perfect. Your love is not perfect. Do you know that? Just ask your spouse. Just ask your children. Your love is not perfect. My love's not perfect. Just ask my spouse. Just ask my children. But God is love. God's love is perfect. And the, the word agape, when you just kind of boil it down, God's love for you, it simply means this. It's a love that God has for you that he wants the best for you. And he can offer you the best. And he knows that. You don't, might not, not know that, but he knows that. So agape love is this love that God has that wants what's best for you. Now, the part of the verse that people often quote is what? Perfect love casts out fear. So there's a question we need to ask ourselves then. If perfect love, if agape love, the love from God, is this love that wants what's best for us, then what fear is this love casting out? Now I want you to notice before we go any further, fear is there. Okay, fear is not absent. So we ask, what fear is? is the feeling of being loved by God, casting out. Well, when you study that passage of Scripture, do you know what John's talking about? He's talking about God's judgment, that we will all be judged one day. Okay, but here's what he's saying. Perfect love, agape love, cast that fear out. It's going to arise from time to time. It's a reminder from God that you're not God and you're going to have this fear, um, but the love that God has for you should continue. It's, it's in the present R's tense. It's continuing to push that fear out, the fear of God's judgment. Because if you're in Christ, if you're washed by the blood of Jesus, we don't have to fear God's judgment. We are righteous by the blood of Christ. That's why Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But even when we read that scripture, I think all of us, because we're in the flesh, carry in the back of our minds this element of fear. It's always there, right? Like God is holy, God is righteous, God is our judge. And we start to think to ourselves like past life, our former life, man, I've done some terrible things. Like things I haven't even been able to forgive myself for. Like, I deserve to be judged. I've had some evil thoughts. I've said some hateful things. I've wronged some innocent people. I deserve that judgment. So that fear is there. But then you remember God's perfect love. You remember Christ died for me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that I don't have to perish, but I can have everlasting life. Listen, you you may agree or disagree with this. That's okay. This is my opinion. But, you know... I'm right. Uh, (laughs) I think that fear is always there. That little element of fear is always there for a reason. It's to remind us of how great God's love is for us. That that love will continue to push that fear out. But that fear is a defense mechanism God built in us. And so what breaks up the rocky soil is a mixture of feeling and a little bit of fear. Um the best way I've seen this illustrated is by C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to make a confession to you. Uh, I know I'm a, a, a pastor, and I'm supposed to have read every C.S. Lewis book ever written. I don't understand half of what I'm reading. I just, it just, whoosh, it goes over my head, and so uh, I'm not real versed in C.S. I'm never going to teach a class on interpreting C.S. Lewis. I'd rather just teach you Greek. That's easier to understand. All right, but one of the, the series that I understand, uh, <laughs> probably because it was written for children, is the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, that, that, little, that little series, right? Um, and if you're familiar with either the, the, the series, the book series, or, or the movie, uh, then you'll be familiar with Lucy and Susan, the, the, the girls. They were uh, having this conversation with Mr and Mrs Beaver uh, these talking beavers uh, and they were talking about Aslan. Aslan is the the king, the the lion king but not not that lion king like the real king Jesus. Um and and but he he's a lion. Okay? And so they're they're talking about Aslan and, and Lucy, little Lucy, she says is is he a man? And of course, uh, Mr. Beaver, who is very sarcastic, he kind of goes into this diatribe, alas, a man, uh, certainly not. And he, he goes through his little speech and he says, Aslan is the king of the beasts. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then Susan chimes in and she says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Miss Beaver comes in, tries to soften the the, the blow a little bit. And she says, oh, that you will, dearie, no mistake. And she goes on to say that um, there's no one that has ever appeared before Aslan, before Jesus, without their knees knocking. They're either braver than more or they're just silly. And then little Lucy says this. She says, she asks a question. She says, then he isn't safe? Mr. Beaver chimes in, safe? Didn't you hear what Ms. Beaver just, just told you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Listen, I, I want you to understand something, and maybe this hasn't been explained to you. Jesus is not safe. He is not safe. When you accept Christ, it is not prosperity gospel. It is not health and wealth and everything's going to be all right. In fact, Jesus is dangerous. Jesus said, I've come to divide a mother from, from her daughter, a father from his son. I have come to divide a household because you know Jesus is the most glorious name in history, but it's the most offensive name in history. So he is not safe. He holds the power in his right hand to wipe out a nation like that. So he is dangerous. He is bad to the bone. Like he, he is not safe, but he is good. And he has agape love for you. He has a love for you with your best interest at heart. And he knows that if you are washed by his blood, it is for your best interest. He's not safe, but he's good. He loves you with the love that, wants, that w- wants what's best for you. He is good and he is king. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us on what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.